the cleansing process that we are going through to come to the place of God's righteousness was and is initiated by God himself. So the Father initiates the cleansing process in our life. The Father initiates the cleansing process in our life. Praise the Lord. Okay, uh, don't forget we, the main uh, thing we're dealing with is Revelation 14. I mean Romans 14, uh, 17 to 18. Which also says, uh, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen? Okay, so, like I said, we are dealing with the Father initiates the cleansing process in our life to come to the place of his love to come to the place of his righteousness for him to accept us all of that put together is initiated by God I want us to start reading from the book of uh, Isaiah chapter 6 Isaiah chapter 6 it's a common passage but there is something I want to draw out from there the way the spirit caused me to see this uh, from verse 1 in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah chapter 6, are we together? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his trail filled the temple. Verse 2, above his two the seraphims, each one has six wings, with twin he covered his face, and with twin he covered his feet, and with twin he did fly. Verse 3. I won't cry unto another and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And verse number four. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Verse five. Then said I, Who is me? For I'm undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of clean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a life coal in his hand, which he has taken with the thongs from off the altar. I want you to start noticing this. Verse 7. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips. And thy iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. Hallelujah. I want you to know that this has touched my lips. Come on, get me the sound properly and just keep it steady. This has touched my lips. Fine, leave it just there. Amen. And thy iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. I want you to understand what is going on here. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell these people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Amen. Now I want you to look at this picture. Isaiah saw the glory of God and then his own life was revealed to him. His life and the people amongst whom he dwelt. 
And it's like saying, it's not fit to be a messenger for the Lord or to even stand before the presence of God. Amen? And the next thing we'll find that here, God took a live coal from off the altar and touched the lips of, of Isaiah. And he said, your sins is purged and your iniquity is taken away. No, it wasn't anything that Isaiah was going to do to have this done. Hallelujah. But because God had a choice and he wants to send him as a messenger, he has to cleanse him for himself to be able to send him. Did you get that? So you find that the cleansing process in our life is initiated by God. And that is why you find that the scripture says, this God who has begun this good work in you shall also do what? Finish it. Hallelujah. The good work is not just a question of maybe what you can do, what you can use it just to do. But it has to do with purifying and perfecting you expressly for himself so that he can use you. Okay, and I want you to know from where this life call is coming from. Amen? The fire came from the altar. Did you get that? Which is a life call. And that is where the sacrifices are to be taking place. Now the life call, if you look at it prophetically, actually speaks about the word of prophecy that God was going to give to Isaiah to go forth unto the people. It's the word of prophecy that was going to send him forth. So he gave him the word. After which, I mean, after he has cleansed him, he gave him the word to go declare to the people. Again, we said the, 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 the life call was taken from off the altar, which has to do with the burnt offering. That's the very place where the burnt offering takes place. Before the door of the temple, in which the fire that came down from heaven is always is. Well, you find that. For instance, if this were to be the tabernacle, the altar of sacrifice, which is the burnt offering, is up there. And any time the sacrifice is going to be offered, once the animal is slaughtered and prepared and put on the altar, fire literally leaped from the most holy place to consume the sacrifice. Is that okay? The fire comes from the presence of God to consume the sacrifice that high priest has put in place. Are you still there with me? Hallelujah. So it's like saying it was the holy fire. Okay. If you want to take time to read, you can look at the book of Leviticus chapter... Let's look at Leviticus chapter 9. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Precisely what I'm talking about. Leviticus chapter 9. And I look at verse 22. This is Moses and Aaron. Leviticus 9, 22. And I'm going to read from the Living Bible. Then with hands spread out towards the people. That's after they finish offering the... The sacrifices. Aaron blessed them and came down from the altar. Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle. And when they came out again, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole assembly. Then fire came from the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and fat on the altar. And when the people saw it, they shouted and fell flat upon the ground before the Lord. Did you get that? Hallelujah. After they come and to bless the people, the fire came down. So watch it. 
They put on the sacrifice, they go in there, they bless the people, go minister before the Lord, uh, take the blood and sprinkle it before the altar, and they came out again and bless the people. And then the next thing that happens, the fire came from the presence of the Lord and consumed the sacrifices to indicate that God have actually accepted the sacrifices which he offered. Is that okay? Praise the living God. So this same fire that came out from the the most holy place, as the case may be now, from the tabernacle to consume the sacrifice, it is same fire that leaped out to touch the lips of who? Isaiah, declaring him cleansed. By implication, Isaiah is like a living sacrifice now before the Lord. Now get the picture right. This was even what we call the Old Testament, as the case may be. But you can see grace functioning in the life of Isaiah to receive a cleansing process and to be commissioned, not because of who, or I mean, what he has done, not because of who he is, not because, in fact, there was nothing that qualified him to receive this from the Lord. Are we together? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So, there came a fire out from the Lord. The flame came from that glorious light that filled the holy place. You must understand. The tabernacle of God, the glory of God was always in the most holy place. Is that okay? And that's where the fire came out from, flashed through the brazen altar and then consumed the sacrifice. So when the fire comes in to do that, it's an acceptance. God is giving his approval of acceptance of whatever sacrifices that the fire will leap upon. Amen? Praise the living God. Okay. Now, uh, there are a lot of things you're going to look at there. But let's look at something from Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. Don't forget what I'm saying. God initiates the cleansing process. God does initiate the cleansing process. So Hebrews chapter 13. Now that's to tell you no matter who you are, no matter how bad you can be, no matter how dirty you feel, it is your feeling, it is not what God is holding against you. Amen? It's your feeling. It is part of the natural understanding of what we have and how that we can stand before the presence of God. But when we look at the blood and what Jesus has done, we can stand before God. Amen? Hebrews 13, I'm looking at verse 10. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, we serve the tabernacle. But the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burnt without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people. I want you to know the word what? Sanctify. That he might sanctify the people with what? His own blood. Suffered without the gates. Did you get that? The sin offering was always burned outside of the camp. And the sin offering, once it is born, it's like saying God accept the people because they offer the sin offering. This is completely different from the, the other offering, but this is sin offering for the people which they brought. They take an animal, come to the Lord and say, well, I've sinned one year ago, I've been sinning now, cleanse me. And God takes the sacrifice and the, and the, the fire comes out to consume it. So now, and that is always done outside of the camp of the people. Is that alright? Okay. Now, the Bible is telling us also that we also now have come to the place where we have to, uh, it's like saying, offer a sacrifice before God, but which we are not qualified to offer. 
Because I have always explained to you that the blood of animals are not the equivalent of your blood. I don't know if you remember that. Okay, fine. Therefore, there was no animal that any man can offer that can appropriate for God or for the person, I mean, that can appease God on behalf of the one that offers the sacrifice. So God had to use his own blood through Christ to do that. Now, what he's saying here is, because those animals were always slaughtered or born outside of the camp, Christ himself had to be crucified outside of the city gate of Jerusalem. Did you get that now? Right. So, I, I want you to look at it again. Verse 10. We have an altar. Now, don't forget. Now, get a picture. The cleansing process took place when the fire leaped from the altar to touch the lips of who? Of Isaiah. Is that okay? Now, his sins were purged. His iniquities were also taken away. Never to remember it. By implication, Isaiah was purified to go and speak on behalf of God. Is that alright? Okay, now, the altar we're talking about was supposed to be within. But here the Bible is saying, we have this altar where those who offer those sacrifices do not have right to eat. You know, when those animals were sacrificed and everything that was brought before the altar was given to the high priest. Is that okay? Alright. So here he's saying, the present altar which we have, those who serve there are not qualified to partake of this altar. Meaning, the righteousness that was supposed to be exhibited by reason of the previous altar, those who walked under that light cannot experience the light of the present order because there is another altar and this altar is the initiator and is found in Christ. Are you getting this? Okay. So he says, we have an altar wherefore they have no right to eat. We serve the tabernacle, the old order. They don't have right. They don't have the, the qualification to partake of what we can partake of today. Okay. It also says, for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burnt without the camp. So in other words, for, for, you know, when God was speaking to Moses, he was talking about building the tabernacle. I've had a pattern in heaven. Is that alright? Okay. So every pattern was supposed to be fulfilled in and by Christ. Praise the Lord. So here we'll find that since the animals were only sacrificed outside the city or the temple, Christ himself has to be crucified outside the city gate. Is that okay? Hallelujah. Now what we need to accept or to do to come to the place of God's righteousness is to accept our sacrifice knowing that we have another altar. So, you find that since the fire came from the altar to cleanse the lips of Isaiah, our acceptance of this also sacrifice that is now within the gate gives us a cleansing. Are we together? Praise the living God. Alright. In this new order, what you need to understand is the divine fire as seen in the tabernacle is basically the Holy Spirit of this new order. Remember what we said last week in John 16. The Holy Spirit is to convince the world of sin. Remember that? And to convince you of what? Of righteousness. 
To convert the world of sin, the purifying process is the work of the Holy Spirit. So the fire in the old order is typified as the Holy Spirit of today. Hallelujah. Now you have to understand that the Bible tells us in the book of Mark chapter 9 verse 49 that there is no sacrifice that God will accept if it has no salt on it. Every sacrifice must be salted with salt. Is that okay? That's a kind of seasoning. Praise the Lord. Now one of the things that kind of um, assists this seasoning also is the fire, as it were. You know, when you put salt on uh, or something, you are not only seasoning, you are also preserving. You are the salt of the earth. Is that okay? You are not only seasoning, you are also doing what? Preserving. And you find that the fire also does a work of preservation. Is that okay? Right. It does a work of cleansing too because it can get uh, whatever thing. If you leave it there, putrefaction takes place. But when the fire comes in, you dry it up and things like that. So you cannot season it for consumption. So uh, Mark chapter 9 verse 49, the Bible tells us precisely, no sacrifice can be accepted by God except that which is seasoned. Is that alright? Okay. So if, for instance, Isaiah was supposed to be a sacrifice, which he was at that time, in case, like we look at Romans chapter 12, and he said, present your body as what? A living sacrifice. No longer a dead sacrifice. Now the sacrifice had to be seasoned by God. So like in the case of Isaiah, the fire comes in to season him, change every corruption that was in Because remember what he said, I'm a man of what? Unclean leaves. Okay. And I dwell among the people of unclean leaves. He was describing all of their states of being. And about the fire came to cleanse his lips and said, Now because the fire has touched your lips, you can go. Meaning, he has been seasoned. His language is no longer the language he was speaking before. Now he has the language of the Lord. It is what God gives to him that he's going to declare. Is that okay? Hallelujah. Praise the living God. So I say, therefore, no one, looking at Mark uh, chapter 9, verse 49, no one can really offer an acceptable sacrifice to God except through the influence of the divine Holy Spirit. It is what this Holy Spirit works on that God accepts. Just like the early times, the fire was a processing that brings forth the taste, if I may use the word, of an acceptance before God. In this new order, it is the Holy Spirit. Hence the promise of the Holy Spirit, like the Bible talks about, the Spirit will come and baptize you with fire. Do you remember that? In the book of Mark, I mean Matthew 3, is, uh, John was speaking, I baptize you with water, but he that will come will baptize you with fire. Is that okay? The baptism of fire is actually a baptism of the Holy Spirit, which was actually released in the same manner from heaven on the day of Pentecost. Uh, I'm going to say something a little bit on this. But there is something I want you to see. We are God's temple. We are God's tabernacle. How many of you believe that? Okay, let's look at the book of Second Chronicles, chapter seven. Second Chronicles, chapter seven. And I look at verse, just verse one. Second Chronicles, seven, verse one. Now, when Solomon had made an end of praying, where was he praying? In the temple. That's after he has finished building the temple, the tabernacle. When Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down. He didn't say fire came down. The fire came down from where? From heaven. The fire. I want you to know that. 
and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled what? The house. Okay. Now this was supposed to be the temple of God as built by Solomon. Is that okay? After he has finished praying, the fire came down. Now I want you to go now to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, let's look at verse 1 to 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all filled with one accord, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them what? Cloven thorns like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So now you see, just like Solomon, when he finished with the temple, prayed to the Lord, fire came down. Hallelujah. Amen. Fire came down to consume the sacrifices, the burnt offering that Solomon was using to dedicate the temple. It shows an acceptance of what God has done. Again, you find that the church is the temple of the Lord. The Bible tells us that. Hallelujah. The Bible calls us a royal priesthood. How many of you, how many of you can remember that? Okay. Before I come back to this, go back to, go to 1 Peter 2 verse 5. 1 Peter 2 verse 5. What did he say? He said, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, and holy priests to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted to God by who? Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that. You also, as lively stones. Now, Solomon built his temple with stones. But the difference is, they are not lively stones. They were stones. Stones are required to build the temple. Are you there with me? Hallelujah. Now, when Solomon finished building the temple, and dedicating the temple to God, after he had that, you know, brought in all the sacrifices, whatever the case may be, the Bible said the fire came from heaven and consumed those sacrifices. Is that alright? Now, in Matthew 16, Jesus spoke of something. What did he say in verse 18? He spoke about his building his church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. I mean, if you remember that. Okay. Now, the church that Jesus is and was building... Is made of lively stones. Not dead stones like that of Solomon. Are we together? Jesus said of building his house. And every house is built with stones. But now, Solomon used dead stones. Let me use the word. Remember the Bible text about dead works and dead sacrifices. He used literal stones which are more or less dead stones. To build his temple. 
After which he begin to commission this temple and God break a kind of an acceptance through the fire that consume the sacrifices. Now Jesus also started building his temple by gathering the disciples and bringing in the apostles from among the disciples. He was building a house. A house for God. A corporate house for God. Are you getting this? Yeah, are we together? Good. Don't forget, there is the, the death stones, if I may use the word of Solomon's temple, but there's the lively stones of this new order. Remember, First Peter 2, he said, Ye also ask lively stones. Alright. Now, this lively stone, Jesus began to assemble when he started his ministry. Among the stones they gathered were people like Peter, James, and John. The initial disciples they brought together from the early church where the stones were assembling together to have a house which we dedicate unto God. Are you still following this? Okay. So when he finally went into glory, what happened on the day of Pentecost was a dedication of the temple of Jesus which he built. The fire that came down and sat upon the head of each and every one of them was an acceptance of them being kind of not only lively son, but lively sacrifices unto God. Present your body as what? A living sacrifice. No longer dead animals, neither are they dead stones. Did you get this? Praise the Lord. Now, it was not the work of the apostles or disciples to cleanse themselves. It was God accepting them and causing the fire to come into their life to cleanse them up. Did you understand what I'm saying here? Now you can see that as soon as that was done, they were able to go out and make proclamation. When the fire touched the lips of Isaiah, he was able to go out to make a proclamation. Same thing. So the fire came, the dedication of Solomon's temple. Now the fire also came on the day of Pentecost in the dedication of the church which the gates of hell cannot prevail against. Can I hear an amen to that? So what you see on the, on the day of Pentecost was actually an acceptance of a dedicated temple unto God. Every one of them that had the fire that day was not only a lively stone, was also a sacrifice. But now, a living sacrifice. So for everyone that is born again and joined to this temple... It's not only a sacrifice, which is a living sacrifice. It's also what? A lively stone. Are you following this? But what I'm saying is this. You don't build yourself. It is God that builds you. Are we together? You can cleanse yourself. It is God that cleanses you. See, everything you do outside of simply believing in the sacrifice of Jesus equals works. Don't forget the question that he asked Jesus. What can we do to do the works of God? He said, this is the work of God that you believe in the one that God have done what? Have sent. Simple. That is God's work. It's as simple as that. So you can't cleanse yourself. You can't make yourself as much alive as you want. But God can. And all you need is to believe into the sacrifice of Jesus. Don't forget. 
just like there was an altar, we also have an altar today wherein those then do not have right to partake of. Praise the living God. Amen. Hallelujah. Let me show you something now in the book of Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Now, if you understand this, the God is commissioning and has commissioned his temple, and he made that statement even before he began to say, the church that is building. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. That can give you a picture of who you are in the hands of God. Hallelujah. That can make you understand that there is no power in this universe that can work against you being the temple of the living God. Amen. Let me, let me say this. Maybe it will help some of you. When you sing, you open a door for the devil to do a work in your life. Look at what the Bible says. It says, when you break the edge, the serpent will bite. Do you get that? But God is right. Because the Lord was speaking this to me yesterday very strongly. But God is right. The serpent certainly will bite, but that is not to say God has rejected you. There are two things. I may probably with time be able to explain something to you, but you know, we talk about sinning against the Holy Spirit. You've heard that before. The unpardonable sin. Is that okay? Right. But let me take it from this side of the prodigal son. The prodigal son rejected God, rejected his father, if I may use the word. Is that okay? But what finally happened to him? He got himself in such a mess that he has to run back to the father. That there was no condition that the father placed for him to come back. Did you get that? So if you go to Jeremiah in chapter 3, the Bible says, Your backsliding heart shall correct thee. Your wicked heart shall reprove thee. It is you that suffers, not God. Are you sitting there with me? The scripture says, Shall we sin that grace may abound? Bible says, not at all. Is that okay? And the reason is because it is you that suffers. But that is not to say, God has rejected you. But you suffer. Amen? Look, I'm trying to show you what God has done and what he's doing. In the life of humanity. 
so that you can separate religion from your worship of God. If you check through the scriptures, right from the fall, even, even, even after the fall, in the true sense, man was still in the presence of God. Otherwise, how do I know? The Bible says, Cain, after killing Abel, left the presence of God and went to the land of Nod. It was he that left. It was not God that sent him. I don't know if you are getting this. He left the presence of God and went to the land of Nod, which is the land of wandering. He just became a vagabond for himself. It was not God that drove him. It is the same thing the father experienced. When he sinned, he hid himself. And God started looking for him. In a way, Adam, where are thou? Remember that? What I'm saying is, when you sin, the torment you go through, it's not the issue of God forsaking you. God won't abandon you. But what you will experience, you won't like it. Hallelujah. Are we still in Ephesians 2 now? Let me explain this and go on. I'll find time to teach it precisely from the prodigal son and what it means, your pardonable sin. But remember in the book of Mark, your pardonable sin has to do with the cell. It was casting out devil with the spirit of Bezebub. In other words, they rejected the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of what Jesus was doing. And call it, they didn't believe. Is that okay? We, we do with that more. Okay, Ephesians 5. The cleansing process. I'm reading from verse 22. Wives, are we together? Submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and is the savior of the body. Who is he saving? The body. What is the body of Christ? The church. Huh? Okay. Therefore, as a church is subject unto Christ, so let the wife be to their own husband in everything. Husband, love your wife. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That, now what I want you to know now in verse 26, that he might do what? Sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might do what? Present it toward himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that it should be holy and without blemish. Praise the living God. I want you to look at this. Jesus loved the church. And what did he intend to do? To cleanse it. Sanctify. Cleanse. Okay? That he might present the church to himself. It's not you presenting yourself. He is the one presenting the church. In other words, he bringing the church to the place where he can say, this is the person I can marry. Are you getting what I'm saying here? 
By implication, God accepted you, called you to himself, and is doing a work for cleansing in your life right now. Now, don't, don't you forget. Look at the next thing that's going to follow what he said. He said, that he must sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that, verse 27, he might present it to himself, what? A glorious church. That means he has a target, he has a goal. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be what? Holy and without blemish. Can you see what the blood is going to do for you? So, tell me, what do you think you can do to be holy? Nothing. You don't even know how many blemishes are in your life right now. You can't tell. Only the Father knows. Are you sitting there with me? If you have a garment in your home and the garment is already getting stinking and yet you love the garment, you love the dress, trousers, shirt, whatever the case may be, what's the next thing you do? You're going to wash it. Drop it in the washing machine. By the time it comes out, it's something different. Is that alright? Okay. I'm going to look at those words. But let me look at, let me look at, you see, Solomon saw this. Somebody turn with me to the book of uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 4. Song of Solomon, chapter 4. I look at verse 7. What did he say? Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. Hallelujah. Now, if you look at it from the message translation, it says, You are beautiful from head to toe. Hallelujah. My dear love, beautiful beyond compare. Absolutely flawless. Now, watch this. Solomon is describing the glorious church, the finished church. Amen? Are you with me? Praise the Lord. So, number one, a spotless church is the goal of God. Amen? And don't forget, if he initiates anything, he's well able to finish it. So, if his goal is to have a spotless church, then we are sure God is going to get a spotless, a spotless church at the end of the day. Am I right, somebody? That is the goal of God. God cannot set a target for himself and fail along the line. Absolutely impossible. Hallelujah. Often we say there is nothing too hard for God to do. Did he say so? Okay, fine. So God now said, my goal is to have a spotless church. A church without spot or wrinkle. This is my mind. And they initiate the process of bringing the church to that place of being spotless. God is going to achieve it. And of course, I'm talking about you. You are that church that God is working on. Hallelujah. God is going to get a spotless church at the end of the day. A perfect, a beautiful church. 
upon the face of the earth. Because he already said it. The gates of hell cannot prevail against this church. In other words, there is nothing that the enemy can do to defile you perpetually. Practically impossible. You are still the beloved of the Lord. By reason of the sacrifice of Jesus. Amen. Okay. Let me show you something again. Colossians 1. I'm going to look at those words. Colossians 1. Let's look at it from verse 21. Colossians 1, 21 and 22. Praise the Lord. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now have they reconciled. We are peace with God now. But look at verse 22. In the body of his flesh through death. To do what? To present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Hallelujah. Praise the living God. Did you see anything there? God reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death. What is the reason? So that he will present you what? Holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Through the blood. So, when you receive the blood and you stand before God, you are holy, you are unblameable, you are without reproof in this world. As far as God is concerned, these are your identities by reason of the blood of Jesus. Are you getting what I'm talking about here? Listen, I'm trying to make you see something. You can't be living in a different altar or experiencing the life of a different altar when there is a new one for you. The one that you cannot initiate, but he initiated it himself. And he has a reason for initiating this new altar. To present you to himself. Holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. He's doing such a work that when you stand before him. How many of you see what I'm trying to say here? God is looking at a church that when he looks at the church which he intends to have for himself. Which is walking on. The church have no spot, no wrinkle, no blemish, whatever. Clean completely from head to toe. Song of Solomon 4, verse number 7. Okay, let me look at those words. Just those few words you find in those passages. To present you holy. The word holy is hagios in the Greek. And it means sacred. Physically, pure, morally blameless, or religious, ceremonially consecrated, a saint. Hallelujah. Are you sitting with me? Hey, are we together? God wants to have saints on the earth. Let me tell you something. You are not supposed to die to be made a saint. Every believer is a saint. Now, sometimes you get confused about this. Take time to read the Bible. Paul was writing to the saints in Rome. Did he say so? 
the saints in Rome. That means every believer in Rome was what? A saint. That is what we are saying. In the sight of God, every believer is a saint. You don't have to die for you to be canonized as a saint. The word holy means a saint. We need to understand that. So God wants to have saints all over the world. Everywhere you find a believer, it's a saint before God. By reason of the sacrifice of Jesus. Amen? The doctrine that says maybe when you die because of your good works, (laughs) then you have to be made a saint. It's not truly biblical. Because the word holy means a saint. Go back home and read your Bible, get a concordance and check up the word saint. And you're going to see that Paul, like I said, was referring to the saints in Rome. He referred to the saints in Rome, meaning every believer in Rome was what? A saint. Paul recognizes by reason of the spirit that those that God have cleansed, they are saints. Now, you see, you can see the same principle in the book of Acts. When Peter was to go to the house of Colonius. Remember that? And then the animal came down and then the scriptures say, kill and eat. Reptiles came from heaven and then kill and eat. And Peter said, hey man, I don't eat anything that is unclean. Remember that? And what did, what did the Bible say? God said, why call it that which is clean, unclean? Did you get that? Means the house of Colinius was already received and they are clean people. Now tell me what Colinius did to become clean in the sight of God. Hallelujah. So the whole house of Colinius, which represent the Gentile world, God saw them as clean people. If you look at that picture, it was the same thing, the law and grace. It was the same thing as saying the law of Moses and the grace in Jesus Christ. The Gentiles were coming in by reason of the sacrifice of Jesus. And the Hebrew people will not accept the Gentile people to come in. That's why if you go to Acts 15, you know, they were trying to tell them, Hey man, we know these guys are believe, but they need to keep some laws. Acts 15, they need to keep some laws. So the debate was going on. What laws shall we tell the Gentiles to keep? Amen? Hallelujah. But you don't need to keep any law to be clean before God. You only need to accept the sacrifice of Jesus. That's our altar. When the fire comes from the altar, every sacrifice is acceptable unto him. Amen? Hallelujah. So, that's the meaning of the word holy. Holy means, again, sacred, spiritually pure, morally blameless, or religious, ceremonially consecrated to be a saint. Hallelujah. Now, it's taken from the root word, hagnos. Hagnos means innocent. Properly means clean. It means innocent. It means modest. It means perfect, chaste, clean, pure. Now, if you look at the scripture, even preacher tells you that before the fall, Adam was innocent. Are you getting that? That is the root word holy. Hagnos. Hagnos. To be innocent. No, no. So 
So God is saying, I want to make my child to come to the very state they were before the fall. Are you getting this? Before the fall of Adam, the state that Adam was occupying, which we can refer to as the state of innocence, the state of pureness, the state of holiness, that is the same church, I mean the same standard that God wants his child to come into. So you find that you definitely will get there because he initiated the process. Amen. Don't forget what we said in the book of Colossians. To present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Hallelujah. Amen. So that's the meaning of the word hagios or hagnos. Now, the next word you look at there is unblameable. We want to present you unblameable. This word is funny when I try to pronounce it. Amomos. A-M-O-M-O-S. Amomos. Eh? Um, unblemished. Unblameable. When something is unblameable, it means unblemished. No spots. It means without blame. Faultless. Unblameable. The same thing. That he may have a church that without spot or wrinkle. That is an unblameable church. And God said, through the sacrifice of Jesus, he wants to make you to become what? Unblameable in his sight. At this stage, you are without blame or blemish. No spot, no wrinkle, no faults. In your life. And God is going to do that. And God is going to achieve that. Spirit, soul and body. One thing you need to begin to understand. First and foremost is. Your spirit at this point. Of your redemption. Through the blood of Jesus. Is sealed. The Bible talks about. We'll be sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Have you read that in the book of Ephesians? What does it mean to seal? Okay let me explain this to you. We have our women, we have our sisters, where you go to the kitchen, prepare some good food, and you have this cellophane that you can use to wrap it. You can still be seeing the, the food, but flies can't perch on it. You together? You sealed it. When something is sealed, it means it's preserved. Nothing can penetrate or defile that something. No corruption can come to the food when the food is sealed with that cellophane. The Bible says you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The part of you that is actually sealed now is your spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Nothing can touch your spirit. Maybe I'm going to explain that as we progress. But if you look at 1 Corinthians 6, 17, he says, He that is joined to the Lord is what? One spirit. So, your spirit is not separated from the spirit of the Lord. The word joining there also means the word marriage or wedded. You are wedded to the Lord. You are joined to the Lord, matrimonially if you will, in your spirit. So, automatically you need to understand that your spirit is married to Jesus. And as it were, there is no fault in your spirit now. No blemish in your spirit now. No corruption can ever enter into it. Why? Because it is sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. The trouble you have, the trouble I have, is our soul realm and our physical body. 
Is that alright? But there is nothing you do now that can touch your spirit. Because it is sealed. How many of you have eaten sanding before? Come on. You've eaten sanding? You've eaten gesha? Uh-huh. What do you see happen to those things? There are fish put in a can and it's called canning. Hmm? When you can a fish, it's like you seal the fish. Now you can travel distance across the nations. No corruption comes into them. That's exactly how your spirit is before God today. With the blood of Jesus. Are you getting what I'm talking about? By reason of the blood, your spirit is sealed. Nothing can touch your spirit. Huh? Hallelujah. And see, you can see, Jesus was speaking to the, to them and said, be not afraid of him that kills the body and the soul. The spirit is not mentioned. I mean, if you remember that, the book of Matthew was telling them, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body and the soul. Spirit is not mentioned. Why? Because your spirit is sealed. Nothing can touch your spirit. Men can embarrass and harass your physical body, make you feel sorrowful in your soul realm, but your spirit is sealed. No matter what you try to do, your spirit cannot be defiled. It is sealed by the precious blood of Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm saying here? Okay. Unblameable. The next thing is, now that word unblameable, which is amormous, is also coming from the root word mormons. M-O-M-O-S. It speaks about issue of flaws and again, blemish. And uh, it talks about that which cannot be disgraceful. It's not talking about disgraceful person, figuratively. Amen? Alright. Then the next word we look at there is unreprovable. Unreprovable. Anagletos. It means unaccused. Irreproachable, blameless. Now the key thing I want to look at there is the word unaccused. Amen? Now watch this. We are told in the scriptures that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. Praise the living God. But here the Bible is telling us that what God is doing it's bringing you to the place where the devil can't even accuse you before God. His accusation will fall flat before God because you are becoming someone holy, unreproachable, unblameable in the sight of God. Now how will the devil bring you before God and begin to accuse you? So you find that when you fall under condemnation in your conscious mind, as it were the devil accusing you, God is not accepting the accusation of the devil because he is wanting to get you cleansed. So the Bible causes unaccused. In other words, hey, I think that's another way the scripture put it. Therefore, there remain no condemnation. That one is even there. Uh, what other scripture I'm going to use now to explain what I'm trying to say? But it's like saying, you can accuse a man that God has acquitted and discharged already. Is that okay? In other words, there is no accusation the devil brings before God on your behalf that God accepts. So at the end of the day, it is you that condemns yourself. 
Because the devil cannot have no legal right to accuse you. In fact, there is nothing the devil can bring now before God as an accusation that can hold in the court of heaven. No accusation. That's why I say you are free. Are you sitting here what I'm talking about? So if you are free, I'll keep on repeating this. You are not just free from any sin you commit. You are free from the sins your fathers committed. No accusation. Therefore, no one can bring anything from your back and begin to place it before God and say, this is why you cannot make progress in life. It's a lie. You are presently unreprovable in the sight of God. Can I hear an amen to that? So don't let the devil launch accusation against you. All of this thing works nothing but in your mind. You're just thinking bad because somebody wants to remind you. But there is no accusation before you in the sight of God that can stand today. Not even a human being can do that. The devil can achieve it. Man can achieve it. And I want to say before you, let no minister accuse you before God that you may accept it. Because you will live under condemnation. You will not be able to fulfill what you are supposed to do. Instead of moving forward, you find that you will be stagnated and if need be, retrogress. Of yourselves, you can do nothing. God bless you.